How many of us here today think that we hear really well? It's kind of funny that I, I start with this because batteries in my hearing aids ran out last night. I put new ones in, they were okay. I got up this morning and as Carrie said, you're working on one cylinder today. This one is not working for some reason. So I'm kind of like listening to port, I guess you might say, you know. Um, but how, how many of us really think that we hear all that well? Now, granted, some of us may have to have assistance in our hearing, and there's nothing wrong with that. Others of us have perhaps been told by our spouses that we need something to help our hearing. My wife says that quite often, but my wife says so many important things that I find that with my small mind, I just cannot keep up with it all, and sometimes my mind just lets some of it slip away, and I'll say, huh? At least that's what I tell her. She doesn't buy it either. The last statement reminds me of a story, though. I heard this about a preacher recently. He said that when he was a young man, he had made the bold statement out of the blue to his parents that he wanted to become a preacher. Well, that's all well and good, said the parents to this young man with a great deal of pride. What prompted this decision at such a young age? They looked at him rather puzzled. Young man answered him, well, I figure I'm going to have to go to church the rest of my life. I figure it would be a lot easier to stand up and yell at everybody than it would be to have to listen to it all. (laughs) And while that's a rather light-hearted way of looking at it, the fact of the matter is, is I have been called by God to speak to his people. I've done it in South Carolina and I've done it in Florida. My job is to bring you the gospel message every other week here at Hill City in in many different ways and in many different passages. Your job is to listen. Every other week it is a race to see if I can get my job completed before you get yours completed. Think about that one. And while I finish, are, are you still listening? There's the question. Maybe you've thought about this before, but, but I want to remind you of a stark fact. I told you I felt that I had been called to preach the gospel by God, no matter where that might be. You all, on the other hand, have been called by God to listen. Whether God's word comes from me, or from Kirk, or from Brett, or from Fred, or whoever else it may be. Kim... It it doesn't matter. This is your fact. This is what you must understand. You understand your position there and my or our position here. Perhaps the most important words of our reading from Luke 8 this morning then come from the second half of verse 8. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus has just given us a parable, as the passage says, to a very large crowd that included his disciples and some very close friends of his. He's talked about seed and rocky soil and fertile soil and seed being choked to death here. And, And while the parable was told near a farm, perhaps, or a farmer who was planting seed, Maybe they were just walking along a road and a farm happened to be there. And as Jesus often did with his parables, and he would talk about the kingdom of God, he would just say, the kingdom of God is like, 
And he would find something that he'd be able to relate to those people who were there with him so that they could see what he was talking about and it might be a little bit clearer for them. But I could imagine that there might have been some confusion about some of the examples that he used to, uh, in his story to these people uh, concerning the good news of the gospel as it is described here in Luke. This was maybe a little bit different one than normal. Now, as some had it had been difficult to be able to pick up on a lot of this stuff. He, he, he must have picked up on some of the confusion from his disciples this time as he goes on to explain what he's talking about here. Sometimes his examples were pretty obvious. I, I suppose maybe this one was a little harder for everyone to grasp. But all of this was done by design. You see, Jesus tells them that first, some parables were, were going to be understandable by, by everyone. The examples were, were meant to be obvious to everyone who heard them. And yet some would see these examples he used and not see what he meant. And they might hear but not pick up on what was being said. They might hear but not totally understand. And if you think about it, once again, as I said earlier, I believe that we, as members of the body of Christ, have been called to listen. But as Christians, just as the disciples of Jesus' day, we understand many things in the outside world would not be picked up on without explanation. And we might truly be able to listen and understand all things from God's Word, and sometimes maybe we don't without further explanation. But you see, us knowing the difference between the two, not just hearing a parable by Jesus and saying, okay, good story, and moving right along. These people would think about this. And they may go to Jesus and they say, can you kind of talk a little bit more about this? Can you explain this a little bit more to us? And I think those are the ones that had the privilege and the gift given to them by God through the Holy Spirit to be able to want to discern even further what he has said. They want to grow in what has, has been said to them about whatever that subject might be. Predominantly, of course, we know it, uh, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. We're in co good company, though, when we don't understand what God word, God's word gives us, though, either through our own reading of the word or through the preaching of myself or, or someone else that you might hear. Those things will happen. I, I think about in the book of Acts, Philip walking along the, the Ethiopian eunuch. And as he was walking, this, this eunuch is, was reading from Isaiah. And, and Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? Do you remember his answer? Well, how can I if somebody doesn't explain it to me? And, and you see, this is, this is a... Even the, the best, the best of Christians, those who, who study and read and all, are not going to have all the answers to everything, okay? They are going to need further explanation from someone that they trust, from someone that they can talk with and, and, and they, and they kind of get the same ideas about things. But it's always good to have someone that you feel like knows maybe a little bit more than you do to seek their guidance, I, I believe, anyway. And this is what the disciples were doing with Jesus at this particular time. They were going to need 
further explanation on this particular parable as we see in verse 9. Now, my disclaimer here is you may not pick up on what I'm going to say either. So if you want to ask me after, you might get a better explanation from one of the elders or from Kim. Though. For this parable, I think it's important to know about the different uh, subjects or examples that are used. First, he tells them in verse 11, the seed is the word of God. Let's get the foundation laid here, okay? Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's a good place to start, isn't it? What does seed produce? Well, ask any person who has had any kind of farming experience whatsoever. Or perhaps maybe like I have, I've got two apple trees and two peach trees in my backyard. Hopefully someday I'm going to have two orange trees and we'll see if they grow this far up here. But anyway, mine did not necessarily start from a seed, but many others do. Okay? Uh, if you took, look at a peach, you know, every fruit is going to have a seed, right? But a, a peach is a little bit different. It has a pit. It has a very rough pit. And you open it up, and there inside is the seed. You see, this is how nature takes care of the seed of a peach. It, it's a very valuable item to it. So what we're looking at here is seed produces vegetation. It produces fruit. But the one thing about it you can be sure of, a peach seed is not going to produce an orange tree. Or an orange seed is not going to produce a, a lemon. Maybe a lemon flavor, but that's another story. That, that's a Florida story there. Anyway, all of these things will grow from a like seed, okay? Common farmer knowledge, understanding there, right? Just basic stuff. It's from this seed, though, that the Word of God, that that spiritual fruit is produced within us. Remember, we've talked about godly wisdom before. And the characteristics of that wisdom produces spiritual fruit, as we see in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Well, how is that seed sown? Farmer comes out, he digs a hole, he prepares the soil in and around that area, and then he plants that seed into the ground and covers it up. In some cases, let's say it's grass seed. At least the way I do it, you might take a 25-pound bag or maybe a 5-pound bag, depending on what you're trying to do. Centipede, 5-pound bag will cost you enough. Anyway, you take it, and for me, you get a good handful, and you just scatter it, okay? Front hand, back hand. You just let it go, okay? Or maybe if you're really wanting to be calculated and you've got the money to do it, you get you a spreader and you spread it out evenly all over the, 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 uh, the yard. I'm a slinger myself. I, I do it that way. I prefer it that way. Anyway, the ground might have been raked up to ensure that the seed would get into the soil, but for sure... We would water the ground afterward and, and fertilize the soil at some point in time. And if you had the money and you had the time, you might even get a, a, a bale of hay and scatter all over that area. So birds won't get it. 
so it'll hold moisture and so the seed will stay in one place. The parable that Jesus gives here describes you and me when I preach and you listen to the word of God being preached. Most of the time, I'm doing the spreading of the seed, God's word, that little item that sinks into the soil and grows and produces spiritual fruit. Can you guess who the soil is? Which y'all? It's your heart, it's your, it's your ears, it's your mind. It's every part of you, okay? And remember, the seed is nothing more than seed until it's planted, okay? God's Word's the same way. If you take a binder with a bunch of words in it, these things mean nothing except that you've got a whole book full of words until you open it up. And you begin to read, and what is read here goes into your heart, and it begins to grow. How does it begin to grow? You become obedient to that Word. That's where the spiritual fruit is produced. That's how all of this works together. Okay? There are four types of soil that Jesus is talking about in this particular parable in Luke 8. My guess is, is these four descriptions will cover... Every single last one of us in this room today. My question this morning for you is for each one of us, even right now, which ones of these soils might describe you? Which soil, let's go beyond that, which soil might be someone that you know and you love? Listen to these descriptions closely. First seed that Jesus talks about in verse 5 was scattered onto a path that had been trampled on. You ever walk on a piece of land over and over again? How about a pathway? Something like that. If there was ever grass there, then you begin to see that grass pushed down. Okay, And eventually the grass will just quit growing in that particular area. If you walk on that place long enough, the ground there gets very, very hard. But if you were to add something on, like some cattle or a group of people walking on there uh, continuously, what's going to happen? It gets about as hard as concrete right there, does it not? It would be virtually impossible to even get a shovel in the ground in order to soften it up enough and allow to get allow any seed to penetrate that particular area. Throw the seed on your patio at your at your house and you'd have about as much chance to, uh, for that stuff to grow there as, as you would like on this hard hard pathway, okay, or this hard ground. The example, or that example, represents many of us whose hearts have been hardened to us hearing the gospel. Their hearts have been run over with life, with being too busy to slow down long enough to hear God speak to them. They don't even have enough time to be plowed and planted with what God would drop in their furrowed soil. Jesus tells us in verse 12 that this is the devil's playground. These folks look quite successful in life many times because they're just so busy doing whatever it is that they're doing. They can't take the time to sit and listen to the Word. Study what's being preached. Take notes and study later. 
Study God's Word. Are you kidding me? I have too many appointments today as it is. The spiritual receptiveness that they may have had at one time has simply been overwhelmed by the life that they live and by the many who just want a little piece of their time. I go to Hebrews 3, verses 7 and 8 for just a second. So the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Hmm. That's a plea right there, isn't it? Notice also the birds, what they did here. What was left of the seed that had been scattered left nothing, or leaving nothing but a barren, hardened mess after they completely finished the job. Now, how'd that happen? One word, Satan. Satan took care of all of that. But I ask you this. Do you know someone like that? Are you listening? Second, the seed fell quickly on rocky or that fell on rocky soil. Verse six. Here, the seed sprouts in a thin layer of earth and grows quite quickly. That seed is warm. It's watered. It says it has moisture. It's really important for good, quick growth. It isn't compacted or hardened, as we saw in the first example. This is soil that seed can really get into. This represents folks who who hear the gospel and gladly receive it to themselves. They talk excitedly about their conversion, about truly being on fire for the cause of Christ. But for some reason, that excitement is short-lived. Maybe one important point here that they don't have, that they really do need, maybe they have no accountability to anyone else. The enthusiasm that they had for learning more about Jesus just dies out. They go back to living the life of sin that they lived in previously. Was it because the soil the seed was planted in was not fertile enough? No. But you know what? Maybe the soil wasn't in Christ at all. Perhaps the soil they were planted in was from a smooth-talking preacher at a revival. Or perhaps they were caught up in the beauty and the emotion of a, of a worship service someplace. Perhaps they got excited about a, a particular group that, that offered them a way out of their past inadequacies or lifestyles. But when the excitement that came from that group disappeared, so did the faith. On the other hand... Maybe you tell old friends that that you have become a Christian. That you have decided to change your ways. That you are no longer going to be able to go out with them to the bars or to wherever they were going. And they begin to laugh. Laughter sometimes has a harder punch than a balled up fist. You ever think about that? If someone makes fun of a decision that you have made, there is a pain there that is beyond description. And in this case, if you tell your old friends, I have decided to follow Jesus, and they laugh. And then they simply look at you and say, you haven't changed. You don't look any different than you did yesterday. 
Do you know what that does to someone who has just found Jesus? It puts a tension on them that is beyond anything that you could imagine. It can even take an older Christian, a more mature Christian, and you see people that you haven't seen in years. I can remember when I first became a pastor, or as even as I was going to, to seminary, and, and some of the people that I used to know, some of the people that we used to hang out with, you know, all adults, okay? And I, I hadn't seen them for maybe 10 years or so, and it's, well, what are you doing with yourself now? And the first thing I'd say, you better sit down, because what I'm going to tell you will knock you down. And they all had the same thing. You were doing what? You becoming what? And some would laugh, and that would hurt. But most of them would say, I even had a couple that said, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Boy, I was. And even those who knew me well, they were probably even more surprised. But until you have been in a situation like that to know what that kind of, of pain is, then now you're standing alone. And what does Satan do? He just keeps feeding it to you. See, you're not going to change. You're still you. You're who you were. You know, you can say that you believe in Jesus and all of this, and that's okay. We'll, we'll talk a little bit later. But as Satan likes to say, you know, when everybody else turns their back on you, you know who loves you. Me. These are things that those that have a shallow or maybe even a new faith, these are things that they can run into. That, that faith that... that seem to be like very quickly professed, excitedly professed, like a shooting star just goes away too quickly because it was just too shallow. It wasn't, wasn't really rooted in Christ. Those in the next group are, are, are especially in great danger. Not that the first is really any better here. But when you listen to what's being preached... Does it excite you until you get home from worship and, and you forget about what you heard and you go on with the rest of your day? You forget about applying it to your life for the coming week, week hoping that maybe it'll just keep you excited long enough to live for Jesus until the next Sunday? Is there any backup reading your Bible at home? Or is that left up to the preacher to read it? to or for you on Sunday morning. How deep is your soil? Do you know anyone like this? Are you listening? Number three, verse seven. The seeds planted are scattered in soil that's around thorns and weeds that, that literally choke the life right out of the growing seed. In fact, the soil never gave the seed a chance to really start growing at all. The soil here merely is a crowded heart. Now, what does that mean to have a crowded heart? It's one that has so much of the world in it that they really can't let go of the world long enough for that seed to begin to grow. We used the, have used this example before, but I think the, the, the parable of the, the, or the story of the rich young man in Matthew 29, who had followed the law by his own admission, but didn't have any room for what was really important, and that was to follow Jesus. And Jesus tells this young man, 
That he couldn't afford to keep any of his earthly pleasures and wealth and still be able to do what he needed to do. And that was to follow Jesus. That is if he was going to be eternally successful. He was going to have to sell everything that he had and give it all to the poor. These worldly things that were going to be that were going to potentially choke the life or the, the seed in this man's heart to keep him from successfully serving the Lord. Now, Jesus names three specific things in this particular verse 14. Worries or cares, riches, and pleasures. Frankly, that'll have to be a sermon for another day on that particular topic just by itself. Maybe we could say that, that folks like that might belong to the yes but church. You know anybody that belongs to that? I'm afraid that that church is actually getting bigger and bigger as time goes on. Will you serve the Lord, you're asked? Will you live for Him, you're asked? Will you go into the world and teach and preach the gospel? Yes, I will, but... And it ends there. Does that mean that when we decide to follow Jesus, we've got to sell all our stuff and give it all away like the rich young man had to do? No. Not at all. But if TV is more important to you than serving God, if reading a good novel is more important than studying the Word, well, I think you see my point here. If worldly things become more important than spiritual things, the weeds are not far behind. Do you know somebody like that? Are you listening? Lastly, there is the seed that is planted in the fertile soil. That's the receptive hearer. But even at that, James 1.22 tells us to be doers of the Word and not just hearers only. It's only when the Word, that seed from the parable here, is retained in a good and obedient heart that can truly begin to bear fruit. That's when it begins to take off. That's when it begins to grow. And that's when the spiritual fruit is seen by others around us. Just like we talked about a little earlier. Plant a seed in the ground, no matter what it may be, and go out tomorrow, you're not going to find fruit produced. Whether that's grass, or a peach, or tomatoes, or whatever the case may be. It doesn't do it overnight. It ain't going to happen that fast. It takes time. It takes nurturing, not neglect. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus gives us even more to think about here. He says that when anyone hears these words of mine and obeys them, he is like a wise man who builds his house on rock. Those who don't are like men who build their house in sand. I think we all know the results of both of those houses, don't we? Do you know someone like this? Are you listening? I ask those last two questions at the end of each of these sections for a reason. First, perhaps you are that person that fits these different categories. I, I don't know. For I believe we, every one of us go through some of these examples from time to time. But what do you do with them? Do you let them grow? Do you turn away from them? What do you do? 
Do you let them absorb who you are and fall away from what should be your first love on a daily basis? Or do you strive to get that seed and soil in a fertile, warm, well-tended area? And when the seed is cast out to you through the message brought by whoever you're listening to at that particular moment, are you truly hearing what is being said? Are you really listening? Are you doing anything with that word, that seed that you just received? The world will know you by the fruit that is produced in your life, we're told. My question as we close is what is your spiritual fruit looking like these days? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for this, these thoughts. Thank you for this lesson, this parable that Jesus gave us. And yet, while some had difficulty understanding, even his disciples, to begin with, thank you for the explanation that Jesus gave us. And I just ask you now, if you would, for each one of us, may we examine ourselves through these words, through these examples that Christ gave to each one of us. Because even though he spoke those words to his disciples, these words were written specifically for us today. To be with us, strengthen us, trouble us if need be. But Lord, may we always be aware of where we are and who we are with you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, our catechism question today. Question number 41. And the question is, this is a good one, what is the Lord's Prayer? What's the answer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Great, great prayer. We now have the opportunity to come to the table together. I chose the passage on the words of institution today from the book of Mark, or uh, Matthew, rather, I'm sorry, Matthew 26. And even though we're going to look at the words, uh, the classically the way we look at them, the words of institution in the book of Matthew, there's some very important preparing, prep, uh, preparing words here before this. We're not going to read them this morning. But I want you, when you get the opportunity, read seven, uh, Matthew 26, verses 17 through 25. And what that's doing is preparing us as Jesus did before they had the Lord's Supper, to the point of letting them know he already knew who the one that was going to betray him was. He knew it all along, okay? And, and yet he makes this statement to them, perhaps for the first time. These are words that, that I think each one of us need to be very aware of in our lives. We know the words of institution each and every week. We talk about them, okay? I know Kim does when he's up here. And yet, the words that are preparing our hearts to go before the Lord at the table, I think are just as important at times. Because it, it helps us to see where we are. 
It helps us to imagine where we would be in all of the undertakings that would take place for the Lord's Supper at that particular time if we had been there some 2,000 years ago. But I want to read these words to you, and we'll do the words of institution from today, or for today. Again, Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the, my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I love this promise because this is a promise that transcends time. It wasn't meant just directly for his disciples. It was meant for you and me today. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He's waiting for us. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Isn't that one of those things that oftentimes we have to hope? When you ask people, are you saved? Well, I hope I am. You know, if we follow His commands, this last verse here, verse 25, is a promise to us. It's not, well, if you do good enough. If I'm feeling pretty good that day when you come before me, then, you know, maybe you'll be there. I don't know. You know, just... Just hope and it'll be okay. No, he is saying right here, I tell you, I will not do this again until I do it with you. I cannot imagine a greater promise that we can have than that. Well, how do we come to the table today? You know, we talk about this every time I'm here. How do do we come? Do we come... All maudlin, all sad. Maybe we should, I guess. I don't know. Do we come joyous? I think we should. Because what's been done for us could not be done by anybody else. And then when you see these promises that are given to us, there's a lot to be happy about, isn't there? Yeah, we're sad because he had to die like he did. We're not happy about the sins that that sent him to to that cross because those sins were ours as well as those who were there 2,000 years ago. My sins helped nail him to the cross. There's a lot of sadness in that one, because I know my sins, and they ain't good. But they no longer count. You know, Brett says that each and every time he does our uh, call to worship and all, I love how he does this. So oftentimes, what he says right then is enough sermon for the day, you know? But that's all forgotten. That's all behind us now. And that's another reason to be joyous. This table, this table doesn't belong to us. It doesn't belong to the Arts Council. It doesn't belong to anyone on the face of this earth. It does, however, belong to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And because it is his table... He has the right and the authority to issue an invitation to any and all who believe on Him as Lord and Savior of their lives. Not as members of the ARP church, but as those who believe in Him as Lord and Savior of their lives. And to those today, He says, come.
Come and be filled. Come and be fed. Come and have your thirst taken away by that, that eternal wellspring of life that He is. He is the bread that will fill us. But He also will give us energy to go out and serve Him each and every day once we leave here. So come. Let's be filled and let's be fed together. Won't you? Come on. No, I'm not doing that.